Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor here in Greenville, South Carolina, and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any reason at all, but especially for your real estate needs, that is where you need to go. Look down, probably depending on what app you're using, it's probably a little bit below the picture uh, of Greenville that this podcast has. Um, So you can just look down there and find my phone number, my email address, reach out to me however you would like to. Um, And just a reminder, what I always ask you guys, please, as always, leave a a nice little review, leave a five-star rating. It only takes a second to do that. And please make sure that you subscribe to the show. Today, um, I'm going to do a little biographical uh, podcast here. Uh, This might not be interesting to everyone, uh, but I feel like I have some listeners that will be interested in in just kind of knowing, how did I get to this point? I am a realtor. I'm also a real estate investor, which a lot of realtors are, to be quite frank. Um, we, We have an opportunity to avail ourselves of all this information and everything that's going on in the market all the connections that we have. And so it only makes sense for realtors to do some sort of real estate investing. Um, But I went about it a little bit different way than most did. Um, And if you go way, way back, um, I really got into it much differently than most people did. And so I wanted to go ahead and just share my story. I've never like fully just hashed out to you guys on here my story of how I got to where I am today. Um, And so let's go ahead and just jump right into my story. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I had kind of a little bit of an entrepreneurial brain. Um, I remember as a really small kid, I I created a menu of things that I could create uh, in the kitchen, like food that I could create for, for my siblings or for my parents. And, you know, it was just basic stuff, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, You know, I would put like cheese on crackers and then melt them and, you know, just silly little things like that. And I would, you know, charge like 10 cents or something, you know, really basic like that to, to make these things for, um, for my siblings and, uh, for my, for my parents. I don't even know how long I did that. I don't think I did that for very long because I realized that I wasn't going to make any money doing that. Um, but that was kind of indicative of, of this kind of more entrepreneurial brain that I had. And then I went through a season where um, I wanted to be a meteorologist, but it was like more, I wanted to be more of like a storm chaser. Like I was really energized by this idea of storm chasing. Um, to this day, I have books on meteorology. Um, I'm I, That's actually still kind of a love that I have. And um, my wife, it, it's funny when, um, when we're having like weird weather, she looks to me as like, before she like puts on, uh, what's his name, Chris Just Justice or whatever, I don't know, whatever our local weatherman is, she might come to me and ask me, like, what's happening, like, what should we expect, um, and uh, I will, you know, usually be very accurate in my prediction of what is going to happen weather-wise, um, and so maybe I will take up storm chasing as a side hobby at some point, you know, that it's still there, it's, it's not exclusive, it's not like I, I can't do that, um, as a hobby, but I just haven't up to this point. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, um, my high school science teacher like really destroyed the the joy <laughs> to be completely honest, like completely took 
the joy out of the the possibility of me doing anything uh, in meteorology. Um, we had a a several week part of science, uh, probably my June, either my sophomore or junior year, um, where we talked about meteorology. And I mean, it literally, it sucked all the joy out of it for me. Like that was it. That, that was absolutely it. I no longer wanted to have anything to do with that. Um, and it's really sad to think about, but, but that's the truth. I'm speaking the truth on the show. Um, a, a single teacher took the joy out of, out of it for me. Um, on the flip side, I had another teacher. I, I went to a Christian school. Um, and, um, as probably all you guys know, um, I am a Christian, um, that does, uh, you know, weekly attend church services and all of that, by the way, if anyone listening to this podcast is interested in knowing more about that or is in, is looking for a church or anything like that, I have a lot of connections in that world. Um, so I'm just going to throw that out there. I obviously do not ever discriminate or treat clients any differently on the basis of their religion. Um, I agreed as a realtor never to do that. And it's also really bad business. Um, but like most realtors, I, I do observe, I do, I am religious and I do have a religion and for me it's Christianity. Um, so I, I went to a Christian school and I had multiple, um, multiple Christian teachers, obviously. Um, and, and they really encouraged me and, and a lot of other people encouraged me to, uh, go into religious studies. And this is actually a, a big thing that brought me to, uh, Greenville, South Carolina was that I actually, and I don't, advertise this uh, very openly um, because it's not necessarily a selling point for everyone. Um, but I ended up getting a scholarship to Bob Jones University, which is in located in Greenville, South Carolina. And I ended up getting a degree in what you might call religious studies. They called it Bible, uh, Bible evangelism specifically, but basically a degree in religious studies with a minor in what's essentially psychology. Technically, <laughs> This is a this is a kind of a funny thing. I'm not going to get into all the details. Technically, a Bible major couldn't minor in psychology, even though they had a psychology minor, um, but they thought it was bad for for a bad look for people that were going to become pastors to have a psychology minor for some reason. And so I had to get a counseling minor. But then I, all of my electives for that counseling minor were in uh, in the psychology division. So I just took the bare minimum counseling classes and just piled up on as much psychology as possible. Um, so anyway, for those of you listening that went to Bob Jones at some point, all of that will make perfect sense. And for those of you that did not go to Bob Jones or do not understand Bob Jones, it, that's going to sound crazy, but Bob Jones is and was crazy. So, uh, so don't feel bad about that. Um, so I went to Bob Jones, and I thought that I was going to be a preacher. That was really what I what I thought um, my life calling was, and so um, I ended up going there. I got straight A's, uh, top of my class, and um, I ended up then immediately. I, I graduated in two thousand eight during the Great Recession. I got a job um, with a company that was based out of Atlanta, but they were relocating to Greenville. And this was very important to me because I was dating my, my wife. Um, we, we were not engaged yet, but we were we had been dating long enough that we knew, you know, that was going to happen. We were going to get married. And so I knew I needed to stay local to Greenville. Um, well, the company 
um, I, I joined a company that did um, basically luxury transportation, black car service uh, for very, very wealthy people. Um, and my job there started off as a dispatcher. I would dispatch the vehicles. And eventually I worked my way um, up, the, up the chain uh, to become the affiliate director. Um, and so the company, a big selling point was even though the company was based in Atlanta, they were relocating to Greenville um, simply because the company founder just liked Greenville and was, and was just ready to move on from Atlanta. Um, and the, the service itself was a global service. So it wasn't like black, it wasn't like they were setting up black cars specifically in Atlanta. Um, although they were doing that. Um, but they were s- uh, setting up black cars with affiliate companies all over the world. And so it really didn't matter where the company was located. It could have been in Greenville. It, they ended up opening up another office in Hong Kong. And, um, you know, I think that they're opening up some other offices in some other areas, but they don't need to have a, a local office in any one major hub. It, it, it can be run from pretty much anywhere. Uh, and the company is still uh, to this day operating in downtown Greenville. But I learned uh, while I was working there, um, life just kind of came at me fast, right? And so I was uh, I was actually enrolled at Bob Jones to get a master's degree. Um, but then I, my wife, you know, and I, we got married. Um, I, I got about a third of the way through that master's degree. And uh, and then we got married. And, and it, you know, this is all during the Great Recession. I had like no money. Um, and then my wife immediately got pregnant as soon as we got married. And it was like, okay, I got to put this degree on hold. Um, and then just a lot of things happened to the point where it just became very clear that my that things were not leading in this direction of me being a preacher, at least not at that stage in my life. Um, and so that coupled with me advancing in this ground transportation company and, and basically being, you know, one of the top people in the company. And, uh, and so I just realized, you know what, hey, it really seems like secular work, even though I'm, I'm still a Christian. Um, it seems like I am supposed to be doing secular work uh, in this stage of my life. And we'll just have to see, you know, if some kind of ministry related work avails itself uh, to me, then, uh, then, I, you know, I can still pursue that at any other time. But right now, it seems like this secular work is what I'm thriving in. Well, I was thriving in it, um, you know, financially and, and in terms of, of doing good work. But that entrepreneurial side of me, and, and by the way, that entrepreneurial side of me was kind of what was interesting to me, like from the standpoint of preaching as well, because um, when you're preaching, like you have full, full control to a certain extent, like you, you can use your creativity and your imagination um, and you can, uh, can I, I don't want to make it sound like it was a control thing, but you can harness those aspects of what you're good at from the standpoint of creativity. I was very good at studying. I, I could harness that. I could, could do all these different things. Um, as you guys know, you know, from this podcast, um, I, you know, I, I'm relatively a decent speaker, right? Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have a podcast. None of you guys would, would listen to it if I was like a really bad speaker. So, um, so anyway, I was doing well in like so many, so many different ways, but that entrepreneurial side wouldn't go away. Like I couldn't just suppress it. 
And so as I started to accrue money, um, after, you know, as I started doing well and the company started doing well following the Great Recession, it really became interesting to me to buy uh, investment properties. And that got that I got that investment property bug from the first house I purchased that my wife and I lived in. It was basically like a house flip. And so I, I ended up being able to go through the whole process of like negotiating a property down really low, getting it for a great price having contractors come in, doing a remodel. And so I I kind of, my first real estate experience was basically the equivalent of flipping a house. And so I got the bug where it was just like, you know what? I, I feel like I can make money doing this. I feel like I can, I can do this um, and it could be a cool side hustle and it'll, it'll bring me some more money and it'll help the family. Um, and so I started doing that and I started flipping houses, not in tremendous volume, um, but just a handful of, of houses per year. Um, and then I decided to kind of pivot from there to purchasing some rental properties. I even did some wholesale uh, real estate deals. And, and I, I just started finding that I could actually, like there, I had a, a talent, like an ability to, to do real estate. Um, and eventually, I started having people coming to me, like asking me questions, like, "Hey, Stan, do you think this is a good investment? What do you think I should do here? What do you think I should do there?" Um, specifically, when it comes to real estate, and it just occurred to me that, like, "Hey, maybe I actually have a gift in this, um, and and maybe I should leverage that gift uh, to the fullest potential." And so, while I was still working in, in ground transportation, I went ahead and got my real estate license, and I immediately started getting business from people that knew me that uh that knew my work ethic that knew my attention to detail um and wanted to um wanted to work with with someone that that had all of that and i'm sure there was also a charitable aspect you know hey you you need some business right to to get started some you someone's got to be your first client um and so uh so i i was able to do it on the side while also still working um, full-time in transportation business. And, and sometimes I would, you know, that first year in real estate, unless you're you're out like just working 80, 90 hours a week, it's if you're just letting business come to you, it's pretty slow. Um, so it wasn't that bad. I had a handful of closings that year and it was good. It was a, it was a good ramp up uh, to that next year. I, I quit my job and did real estate full-time. Well, I determined from the very get-go that if I was going to be successful at real estate, it had to be without me needing to do door knocking or cold calling or things like that. And and I'm not saying that I never ever will do those things, but my business couldn't depend on me like taking an hour every day and cold calling. I hate doing that. I had done cold calling in college at Bob Jones. I spent a year um, as a student caller, a very weird job where I would call high school students that had signed, you know, a form for Bob Jones, they were interested in Bob Jones, I would call the high school students and talk to them and and try to answer questions about Bob Jones. And I hated that job. It was by far my least favorite job that I'd ever had. I was so, um, it it, it was like, it was the only job that I've ever been in that as soon as I hit the minimum number of hours, I immediately clocked out and and immediately left. Um, And so, that was uh, that was something that I knew. Like, if I was going to be successful in real estate, it had to be 
without me doing these things that I don't like to do. Um, because at the end of the day, like really the reason why I left the transportation company was I was getting burned out of that. Um, I was just getting tired of that. I was tired of working for the man. I had that entrepreneurial side. Um, but it, but it was always just in my head. I, I just, I wanted a lifestyle that I could control better. I didn't want to have to work a certain set number of hours, going to the office, clock in, clock out. Um, and in addition, you know, a lot of people say, well, isn't real estate just like 24 seven? And it's like, well, yeah, it is. But, um, even in that transportation business, I was having to work weekends. Like I was basically on call 24 seven, um, in, in a very real sense. Um, and so it was, it was a difficult lifestyle, very, very draining, um, came home just completely depleted. And so I wanted real estate, not just because I was good at it, but I needed the, the lifestyle change as well. Um, well, um, <laughs> the thing is that you can only get real estate business as a realtor a handful of ways. Um, and one of the main ways, like if you listen to any of the experts, one of the main ways that they recommend that you get real estate business is by cold calling and by door knocking. And I was saying right away, I was taking those two off the table. I'm not going to do that. So I'm immediately going against what they teach every single new realtor to do um, and had to make it work my way. Well, needless to say, that first year as a realtor was very slow because of the way I was trying to build my business. So I tried to do some things on the side that still gave me some level of freedom, um, but they were kind of outside the box. So I bought a frozen yogurt shop, <laughs> which uh, either either you know me well enough to know that, or this is the first time you've heard it and you think I'm crazy. And yes, it was crazy. Um, I bought a frozen yogurt shop, and I tried to I tried to to run that. It was a business that was failing. I tried to um, to inject some life into it, and it was it was tough. Like it it taught me that okay. I actually am not as much of an entrepreneurial brain as I thought I was. I'm more of a self-employed brain. I like the endless possibilities of just being a business owner of a restaurant was crippling to me. Um, whereas in real estate, there's a beauty of it where there are guardrails to it. And so I'm self-employed. Um, so I can still use all of that creativity uh, and, and my attention to detail and all these different things that I have. Uh, but, but it's, there are still parameters to it all at the end of the day. Um, being a, a frozen yogurt shop owner, there's like no parameters. Um, you can market however you want. Uh, you can price things however however you want. Like you can hire whoever you want. Um, and that was tough for me. I, I was not a good employer. Um, I completely owned that. That was not my thing to do. And, um, and so for a year, I owned that frozen yogurt shop. Uh, before I ended up uh, ended up selling it, I, I did it by far was my worst investment. I did end up having to sell it for a loss, um, but I will say, uh, like I said, it, I learned lessons. They were expensive lessons, but I did learn those lessons. Um, and the possibility that I would fail in that role was not surprising. When I went into it, it was like, okay, there are like ten potential outcomes that could happen as a result of me making this purchase. And that outcome was one of them. So it did not come as a surprise, it, but it did come as a disappointment. Um, during that time as well, because real estate was slow, and I was trying to put money into this frozen yogurt business as well, trying to revitalize it, um, 
I, I needed more money. And so it was actually during this time that I became licensed as an insurance adjuster. And I actually went and worked a hurricane, which is, uh, which is really fascinating uh, and, and just kind of a crazy thing. But we had two major storm events that happened within just a few weeks. I don't even remember what the names were. Uh, so, you know, it feels like an eternity ago. Um, but two major storm events happened not very, like, within driving distance for me um, within a very short period of time. Um, and so the first one happened, and the way uh, insurance adjusting works is it's also self-employed for the most part. There are staff adjusters with some um, some insurance uh, carriers, but generally speaking, um, most insurance adjusters are self-employed and they work with multiple different firms. And you just need to do some basic licensing requirements in whatever state it is that you want to uh, potentially do storm work in. And so I got licensed in like basically the entire Southeast. Um, and then I went, so um, I, I tried to shadow some adjusters, tried to learn the trade. Um, it's very technical. The software is not user-friendly, um, but I knew just enough to be able to get by. Um, and then these storms started hitting. And so the way it works, when a hurricane hits an area, they put out all these different firms. They put out a call to um, to all of their adjusters like, hey, we, have a, we are anticipating a bunch of claims in this area, in New Orleans, for instance. Um, are you willing to deploy to that area? And when you deploy, what that means is, is you go to that area and you work until there's no more work to be done. And that could be months. A lot of these insurance adjusters, they will make $250,000 in like two months. Um, it's, a, it's a shockingly lucrative business um, because you can easily, during a storm, uh, make five, six, $700 during a claim. And a lot of these guys will do three to four claims per day. Um, and that's a, that's a lot of claims. Like I could not really do that. <laughs> not, not as a new adjuster. Um, but the first storm hit and I was like, eh, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this. And then the second storm hit and it was in Atlanta and, or, you know, it hit a few different areas, but Atlanta was one of them. And it was like, they, the, the call started going out from all these different firms, like, and I was licensed in Georgia and, and the calls started going out like, Hey, um, we, we need help, you know, and, and here's what happens because so many people had deployed to the first storm. There was a shortage of adjusters for the second storm. So the firm started offering more money. So now it was like, whereas the first storm, you might make four or $500 on a basic claim. Now this one was more like six fifty seven hundred, And so I was like, you know what? I need money. Um, you know, I, I, I have, I have to do this. And, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of real estate clients. So it was like that nobody really needed me to be in Greenville. Um, had some friends in Atlanta, shout out to Seth and Diana. Um, they were lifesavers. I let me stay with them for a week and I worked claims for a week and I had no idea what I was doing. I did an awful job. Um, and <laughs> like basically I went to the claims, 
um, and like took as many notes as possible. But I had no idea like even what notes to take. So I just took as many photos as possible, took as many notes as possible, and then had to try to digest it all at the end. Like I was, I was sleeping like two, three hours a night. Um, and then getting up and just, just starting it over. I did that for a week and I was just like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, now I made $20,000 during that week, which I needed. I, I needed that money. Um, but it, I, I couldn't, you know, I could have stayed there for probably a couple of months and just racked up like quite a bit of money. Um, but the lifestyle, I just could not take it. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that I just, I didn't know what I was doing. Cause you know, there's only so much on the job training that I could do. And then it was like sitting down there and actually trying to input things into the software. Um, and it just overwhelmed me like a lot. <laughs> and so um, after a week of that, I gave that up, but I didn't give up the job. So I, I realized I needed more training. So I, I went to more training. I went to a week of training in Charlotte. Um, and then it became kind of a part-time gig for me for, for a while. Um, I ended up doing... Um, claims for uh, a major um, home improvement store. Um, and so basically when the, the most common claim was like when they would like install an appliance, uh, but mess up the installation in some way that it causes damage to the home, then a claim would be filed and then uh, an adjuster would come and, and would, would do the, the work on the claim. Um, I got in with them uh, via a claim that happened in, in Greenville that I was able to do. Um, and then I started getting pretty consistent work from them. Um, and really all of this was really, really helpful for me from a real estate perspective. I started to realize that it was crossing over that as clients would, you know, would have questions about water damage or about the condition of a roof and whatnot. Like I could, actually see the roof from the street and be able to identify problems with it. I, I remember driving up to, to one house and immediately just going, Oh my gosh. And my clients were like, what? And I was like, look at that roof. And they were like, what? And I said, it looks like someone took a paintball gun to that roof. And I would just immediately like from the street saw that that roof had quarter sized hail on it. Um, and, and so you just become more attuned to things like that. And I continued for, for several years, even as a full-time realtor, because I didn't get very many of these claims from, from the, um, home improvement store. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of claims from them. So it would just be a handful of them per month. Usually like they might send me three at a time, kind of in the same area. I could just take a day and just knock it out. Um, but it ended up, um, it ended up helping me in, in so many ways in, uh, in the real estate game. Um, and then 2020 hit and 2020 was just a super weird, uh, time for me. Um, I had a, I'd been having health issues for years and years and I had been diagnosed with, uh, what's called vasovagal syncope. It's basically if you have low blood pressure and your blood pressure just completely, uh, just drops to the point that you pass out. Um, that's, that's what it is. Um, and it's actually a very common condition. Some people have it that they, they pass out multiple times per day, which just sounds awful. Um, other people just have like experiences of vagal syncope where, um, you might've had it at some point, like when you see people when their knees lock, um, and they pass out because of that, or people, 
um, stand up too quickly from being in bed. Um, they, they might immediately pass out. Those are examples of like non-chronic uh, vagal syncope. Well, they diagnosed me as having chronic vasovagal syncope, um, and they were wrong. And we found out that they were wrong when I had a major seizure in, uh, in 2020. Um, and it was right before the, right before the pandemic. Like we knew that the, the pandemic had started in China, um, but it hadn't yet had a major impact here in the U S. And so, um, so I had a major seizure event that they diagnosed me, uh, with epilepsy, um, and then they said, you can't drive for six months. Um, you, you need to be seizure free for six months for us to allow you to drive. And so that, that was really, really difficult on my real estate business, obviously. And, um, thankfully I still had a, a handful of those insurance adjusting claims that were coming in for the home improvement store. Um, those were able to kind of keep me afloat. But basically, my real estate business died for for six months during 2020, and we thought that the entire real estate industry was going to die in 2020. But we didn't realize that it actually was going to take off a few months after the pandemic happened. Um, but it didn't take off for me. I had to ride it out. My wife drove me. My cousin drove me. You know, to showings and whatnot. Um, but it it wasn't until I finally was able to drive again, and then. Ironically, when I was able to drive again, the insurance adjusting completely went away. I stopped getting those claims and I had to make a decision like, do I want to keep pursuing this or do I just want to double down on real estate and, and do that? And I decided that real estate, real estate was the thing. Real estate was what I needed to double down on. Um, and so I did. And, um, and of course, during all of this time, I've still been, uh, flipping houses, I've still purchased as anyone that knows me knows, um, rental properties at various times. I'm very selective for both what types of uh, flip houses I purchase, what type of rental properties I purchase. Um, but I've kept doing all of that up, up to this point. Um, and so I've always had this pipeline of investor clients and that has been, uh, an extremely, uh, lucrative, just a fantastic pipeline for me. I've had to refine it over the years um, because some investor clients started to take advantage of how knowledgeable I was about the market and they would just try to get me to give them free information, but then wouldn't end up actually, then they would just try to source deals off market and cut me out. Um, and, um, and, and so I've had to um, make sure that I'm selective at the end of the day with who I work with. Um, but here I am. Um, we're in 2022, um, and I'm, I'm doing what I love. Um, I love being a realtor. I'm, I like to tell people I'm the rare, so there's a lot of, of real estate investors that are licensed as realtors, but they make so much more money on the investing side of things that really they, they don't focus very much on the actual retail realtor businesses out there. And I'm one of the few that I actually just love being a realtor so much, like representing people in their home purchases or in their sales that even though I fully recognize that if I, if I basically just quit being a realtor and just did real estate investing full time, I would make a lot more money than I currently do. Um, I enjoy being a realtor way more than I enjoy the investing. The investing stuff is like super stressful to be completely honest. 
Um, and so that's why I'm selective with the ones I take. I try to take the ones that maybe aren't the highest margin, but are going to be a lot less stressful. And, um, and I just focus, I let those come to me. Like I'm not out there, um, trying to, you know, actively find the next flip. I'm not one of these people sending, you know, putting up, we buy houses, placards and putting up postcards and all that. I I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. I let the deals come to me. Um, and what I have just doubled down on is my realtor business. And, uh, and so here I am. Interestingly, how this podcast started, this podcast started during that time when I couldn't drive. Um, and so I finally had the time because I'd been so busy for so long doing, you know, all this adjusting and, and, um, yogurt shop and, you know, just everything else. As you can tell, I always keep myself very busy. Um, that was finally the time when I wasn't busy for like six months. And it was like, okay, I have been thinking about doing content creation for a long time. Like that had been on my brain for a while and, it was, and I love to listen to podcasts. And it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure this out. Like I'm going to buy a microphone. I'm going to sit down on my Mac and try to figure out how to use GarageBand, which I actually had some good experience at Bob Jones uh, with one of my roommates use GarageBand quite a bit and he taught me um how to how to use it. So that actually was the easiest part of it. Um but um but what ended up what what seemed like a really negative thing ended up being this blessing in in disguise that during that time where I wasn't able to drive because of of my epilepsy, um I created the this podcast which has become my most powerful marketing tool that I have by far. Um like I a huge percentage of my closings are either directly or indirectly related to this podcast. Um, and so I'm extremely grateful for that. And I'm extremely grateful that they correctly diagnosed me this, this time, uh, back in, in 2020. Um, because now I'm able to take the correct medication and I haven't had a seizure since then, since February of 2020. So, um, so that's all under control. And my business is better off for it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that a little bit of, of my story. Obviously, there's a ton of more details that I could put in there. Um, but I, th- I tried to, to streamline. I actually didn't, didn't. None of that was scripted. I did all of that off the top of my head. Usually, I try to s- script out a little bit of my pods. Um, but in this case, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to wing it and just see what comes out. Um, so hopefully, that was interesting for you guys. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, and sticking with me for this longer than normal episode. If you liked it, please subscribe, hit a five-star rating, leave a short little review. Um, And if you want to talk to me about any of this or for any of your real estate needs, my contact information is in the show notes. Thank you guys again. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we will talk again next time.